Well, good afternoon, everybody, and um, you're very welcome to um, Gospel in the City today. Um, it's always great to see people, especially if you can navigate yourself to the second floor, not the first. So, well done. First challenge um, completed. Um, so, one of the things that we want to do here at Gospel in the City is to help um, equip you um, as Christians to um, share the Gospel in contextually appropriate ways. And one of the things that we're doing to try and help with that in the next over the next... Um, term really is to do a couple of talks about the big questions that people want to ask God. So as you'll have seen next week on the 2nd of October we have the question if there is only one God how, how come so many people have different views about him and Christoph Ebbinghaus is going to be here to talk to us about that next week. Um, so it'll be a great opportunity for you to invite colleagues and friends and family along um, to that talk. It'll be very accessible to everyone so um, do please take the opportunity to do that if you can. Um, and if you want any tips on you know, do let, let us know and we'll be happy to help you with that as well. So we're here today um, to look at the last in our series on the Old Testament book of Haggai um, and Sam's going to be talking to us about how to be on the right side of history. Last week we had Steve Ald here who was talking about the pathway to blessing and how um, that is to have God at the centre of our lives and how Jesus can make us ceremonially clean as well. So really what I'd like to do then is just do um, just open up in prayer and then I'll go on and read the passage for you, which you should have on your seats as well. So. so Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you today for gathering us here together um, for a time of fellowship and um, for the food that's been provided and for the opportunity, most importantly, to hear from you, from your word, Lord. Would you give us ears to hear what it is that you have to say to us today? In Jesus' name. Amen. So the reading is from Hag um, Haggai chapter 2, and it's printed on your handouts there. So we're starting at verse 20. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Amen. ambitious with this, sorry about that. Um, Laura, thanks very much for the welcome, and great to see everyone. Um, we always seem to be a little bit 
smaller when we kind of move venue, but well done for finding it. And hopefully there's not too many people wandering around the Clayton Hotel uh, <laughs> aimlessly. We do, we, we do have a man on the door, so uh, he'll, be, he'll be joining us in a, in a wee bit. Um, if, you, if you can see a handout, that's great. Pop up, pop up a hand if you can't see a handout and we can get one to you. Uh, if you have a bit of trouble seeing the small font, we do have a few kind of A4 uh, handouts available as well. Um, so you're joining us today for the last of our, of our Haggai series. Um, don't worry if you haven't been here for the rest of the Haggai ones. I think this should make reasonable sense even if you haven't been uh, with us. But what we've been doing the last few weeks is talking about our priorities. We've been thinking with the help of Haggai about what we should be focusing on as Christians in the workplace um, this autumn and I suppose just generally. Um, and one of the priorities that we have here at Gosman City that Laura was just touching on is this priority of trying to seek in any way we can to share the gospel with our colleagues. We, we don't want our workplaces to be places where we simply hide our Christian faith kind of under a, under a rock. We want to be people who are open about our Christian faith and seeking to communicate that uh, in ways that are appropriate wherever we can. Uh, but I guess the question is, well, why, why is that a priority? Why should we be seeking to share the gospel with our colleagues? Well, this little passage from the Old Testament book of Haggai, I think has got a one-word answer to that really important question. Why should we be seeking to share the gospel with our non-Christian colleagues? Well, the answer Haggai gives is Zerubbabel. Okay, now that's not, probably not going to be a familiar word to us. It might not be off the top of our tongue for kind of motives for sharing the gospel. Uh, so let me give you a slightly longer answer. Um, uh, why should we share the gospel with our colleagues? Because Zerubbabel's son is on the throne and he calls all nations to join in God's unstoppable purpose. Okay, that's the kind of answer. That's where we're going today. But before I kind of unpack that and try and show us how we're getting there, um, it's worth just pausing for a minute, I think, to, to consider what do we actually mean by sharing the gospel with our colleagues. Well, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean going back to your office this afternoon and sitting a colleague down who's perhaps unsuspecting and giving them a kind of full 15, 20-minute gospel presentation where you take them through all the steps that you might perhaps learned as a, as a teenager, uh, ending up with a kind of a prayer of commitment. Okay, that's not, that's not quite what we're talking about. Um, what I do mean is, is, is being deliberate and prayerful about looking for ways to get chatting to colleagues about the good news of Jesus. Um, so it's that idea of just being deliberate and prayerful about seeking to share our faith with our colleagues. And if you look at the back of the handout today, um, we've got, uh, there's a number of different ways that you can do that. Um, this is a really helpful list that we've shared before at Gospel in the City that, that's kind of adapted from Tim Keller, if you know him. Uh, he kind of gives a list of 10 different ways that we could be begin to think about sharing the gospel with our colleagues. And they go from the kind of the easy to the more demanding. So the easy ones are things like just letting people know that you are a Christian in the workplace, uh, or perhaps beginning to ask colleagues about their faith or religious background, and, and just being prepared to listen, not at, not at this point maybe stepping in to kind of correct them, but, but just kind of opening up that dialogue, uh, being willing to talk about problems with with colleagues, often something doesn't happen very much in the workplace. And that goes all the way up to um, invite, inviting somebody to perhaps read the Bible with you, which we've done some training on here at Gospel in the City, uh, or bringing them to a kind of a course where they could discover more. So there's lots of different ways that we could be thinking about doing this. So please don't hear me as saying it's pin a colleague down and explain the whole gospel to them. I don't think we necessarily have that as a responsibility um, in the workplace, but 
but it is seeking to be proactive and looking to take some of those opportunities. Now, even, even with that said, I think there's still lots of reasons why we might look at that list and think, you know, that's, that's a struggle for me. That's not natural for me. That's not in my comfort zone. Um, and there's lots of reasons we could think about why that might be. But today, I just want to address one big reason that I think is probably quite a, quite a relevant reason for us in the city centre of Belfast, for why we might be tempted to not be doing any of those steps on the back of the handout. And the reason is, um, is because I think people who hold to traditional Christian beliefs today in Belfast are often seen as being on the wrong side of history. Have you heard that phrase, being on the wrong side of history? Um, uh, interestingly, Richard Dawkins has got a new book out um, called Outgrowing God. So basically, I think the idea is, is human beings, we've outgrown God. Okay? History has progressed to such a point that, that we've outgrown him now. And so if you still believe in God... You're kind of on the wrong side of history. You're still in the dark ages, pretty much. Um, I don't know if you remember a few years back, uh, Jim Nesbitt, the Ulster Unionist Party leader, uh, gave a speech at the party conference where he warned the Ulster Unionist delegates that if they opposed gay marriage, then they would be judged to be on the wrong side of history. And he said that despite, he said, personally thinking that gay marriage was wrong. He just warned people that that was the trajectory and everyone would think that it was just ridiculous to be holding that sort of a view. Um, a comedian this year uh, at the Edinburgh Fringe uh, did a show about coming out as a Christian. Um, and the blurb for the show uh, says this, uh, Nick Dixon is, doing, is considering doing something so controversial and shameful, he will be ridiculed and hated by the comedy community, his family, and most of the country. He is thinking of returning to Christianity. Okay? So it's, it's a joke, isn't it? I mean, it was, he was trying to make a serious point in his, in his uh, comedy show, but that is how it's seen, isn't it? To return to Christianity is to be on the wrong side of history. <laughs> so you might think, well, well, why would I ever offer that to somebody in my workplace? I mean, it's bad enough that I have to believe this, but why would I kind of pin somebody into that uh, outdated way of thinking? And I'm sure you must find this in your workplaces. I know speaking to some of you, this is the case. You know, when policies are being drafted, are Christian values seen as outdated and just not legitimate to be putting forward? I think probably they are. Well, where does this phrase come from, uh, to be on the wrong side of history? It's worth kind of sometimes pausing and looking at these kind of phrases that are current in our culture and kind of trying to get a little bit of a, a sense of where they've come from. And uh, you can see on the handout, uh, we've got a quote here from Martin Luther King. Um, he was one of the famous leaders of the civil rights movement in America in the 1950s and 60s. And he, along with a number of other people, um, but particularly him, is remembered for saying this. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. So you can see what he's saying, I think. Uh, there are going to be ups and downs. It's not going to be a smooth progress. But basically, we are heading towards justice in our universe. There's this trajectory that we're on, and it's heading towards justice. Uh, it's sort of unstoppable. And I think you can see how that would be inspirational for the, for the civil rights movement. Um, and in fact, uh, a couple of decades later, Paul Simon wrote a song called Peace Like a River uh, that includes some uh, lines that go like this. You can beat us with wires. You can beat us with chains. You can run out all your rules. But you know you can't outrun the history train. So that sense of inevitable progress towards justice, despite all the, all the bumpiness, and I guess as Christians, we are now seen as being on the wrong side 
of that, of that train, aren't we? Um, now, there's a problem, of course, in, because that sense of justice that, that Martin Luther King thought the world was moving towards, I'm not sure we all know what it is anymore. I think if you asked 10, 20, 30 different people in your office, what is justice? What is that ultimate aim? People would, would come up with all sorts of different views because we, we've actually lost a sense of any objective uh, justice and reality. I suppose perhaps the one rule that people might suggest uh, is just is, well, don't impose any rules on anybody else. If you do that, that'll be justice. But actually, that turns out to be harder than it looks. And I, I want to suggest that we don't have time to go into this, but that train, that history train, might be veering off the, off, off the tracks somewhat. Well, thankfully, our passage today says we don't have to worry too much about that because there is an arc in the moral universe, this passage says, but it's not bending towards some abstract sense of justice. The arc of the moral universe is long, Haggai says, but it is bending towards Zerubbabel. And if we can understand this, if we can kind of really uh, start to get this under our skin, I think this will give us all the encouragement we need to go out into our offices and share the gospel with our colleagues. So who is Zerubbabel? Um, well, we've been finding out over the past few weeks that he is the governor of Judah in 520 BC. And Judah at this time was, was a province of the vast Persian Empire. There were something like 120 provinces in the Persian Empire. And Judah was one of the smallest and most remote. Um, and Zerubbabel was the governor of this small community of people who were gathered around the ruined city of Jerusalem. Uh, they'd returned from exile a number of years ago, and now they were rebuilding their lives and rebuilding the city. But as Zerubbabel looked around Jerusalem and looked at what he was in charge of, he would have seen a very vulnerable community. Uh, they had no army and no city walls to defend them. And so they risked being crushed by the powerful empires all around them. The Persians might crush them if they rebelled, but the Persians might not save them if the Egyptians or other kind of empires came in and did some damage. They were very much in the, in the cockpit of the, of the Middle East where all the fighting was, and they had literally nothing to defend them. So in human terms, this little community that this uh, passage that we're looking at today is addressed to was one that had very little hope. They were on the wrong side of history. They'd had some glory days in the past with David and so on and Solomon, but now it's looking pretty bleak. But in our reading today, God comes along through the prophet Haggai and he makes two brilliant promises uh, to Zerubbabel. So the first one is in verses 21 and 22. Have a look at those. Uh, Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. This is the Lord speaking. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. So this is a little bit impressionistic, this, uh, these couple of verses. But I think it's clear that Zerubbabel and the governors who come after him can be very confident that the mighty empires that threatened God's people would not last. Uh, they'd be destroyed, they would fall, and you see each by the sword of their brother. Internal conflict, civil war, is going to tear these massive empires apart. And little Judah, their little community, against all the odds, will survive. And in fact, 
That is exactly what proved to be the case. Uh, now, I'm not going to go into the kind of the full history of the ancient Near East uh, over the next 500 years, but really, you can, f you can trace it out really using this verse. This verse kind of gives the pattern of what would happen for the next 500 years till the coming of Christ. Uh, it's a story of empires rising and then falling, and little Judah surviving. Give you one example. The Persian Empire uh, ultimately fell to, anybody know? Ah, we've got to, we really got to brush up on this. The Greeks, Alexander the Great, yeah? Uh, you know, he, he rampaged all through uh, Asia and Turkey. Well done, Jim. <laughs> have, a, have an extra sandwich on your way out. <laughs> um, okay, but Alexander the Great, right? Vast empire from Greece all the way through to India. He died in, in 323 BC. I'm sure you knew that as well, Jim. And, uh, and his, uh, his empire then just fell into pieces, uh, into lots of different fragments, as nobody could decide who ruled it. Now, Judah didn't escape bloodshed. Um, I wouldn't want to be too kind of naive about this. It, there were some pretty brutal times. But against all the odds, Judah did survive for the next 500 years. The city remained. The people were there. So that's the first promise. Um, that the royal thrones would be toppled. The great empires that perhaps um, scare us today, I think we can maybe look at through the lens of this prophecy. And it's not maybe directly to us, but I think we can see that the same God who controlled those empires then is still in control today. Um, we can think about the rise and fall of ISIS, for example, in the, in the Middle East and how it persecuted Christians horribly and now is almost gone. Uh, or some people are worrying about the rise of uh, Facebook and how it can kind of control our thinking. And again, I think as Christians, we maybe don't need to worry about that. Facebook will rise, but if it threatens God's people, it will go. Um, I was actually a bit nervous yesterday. I don't know if you saw this. Um, there was a kind of a robot. There was a video circling around on social media of a, of a robot that can kind of do jumping and twisting. And it's like incredibly athletic. Um, and you can just see people producing in the, in the years to come hundreds and thousands of these as kind of, you know, robot soldiers. It was really impressive. Um, and I, I was like, oh, goodness, this is, we're going to be ruled by robots before I'm dead. Um, and I suppose I need to say, well, no, you know, mighty empires will rise, but they will also be toppled if they threaten God's people. Okay, so that's the first promise. But the second promise is, is of more than simply survival. It's of, uh, of, of thriving and flourishing. Because God centuries and centuries and centuries earlier, had made enormous promises to King David. And Zerubbabel is David's descendant. And God is now promising that uh, Judah will not only survive, but those promises that God had made to David have not been forgotten about. That God is, in fact, going to fulfill those promises too. So have a look at verse 23. Uh, On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Uh, so one commentator says that this passage is a little bit like a carefully composed Impressionist painting where every brush stroke is meant to lead the eye towards what is central. And here, Matthias says, uh, the, the central focus is like a shaft of light shining on a ring, on a finger. Zerubbabel is going to be God's signet ring. 
Now, in the ancient world, a signet ring was a kind of like your credit card today or your signature. It's what you use to stamp your authority on something. You know, you put your seal on it and then it had your mark. And that meant that your signet ring was really your most treasured possession. You wouldn't let it out of your sight. People wore it on their ring or, or sometimes around their necks. And that is what God is promising here to Zerubbabel. He's saying, Zerubbabel, as a descendant of David, as the kind of the latest in, in this family tree, I have chosen you and your family. It is going to be from you that the signet ring comes. I'm going to have you as my symbol of authority for the whole world. I'm going to have you as my most treasured possession. So God is saying to Zerubbabel, and remember the context, governor of little Judah in 520 BC, royal thrones will be toppled, empires will fall, but I have chosen you, your family, is going to be uniquely precious to me. You are going to have a kingdom that will never end. <laughs> this promise must have seemed, seemed crazy to Zerubbabel. He is a nobody in the power politics of the ancient world. He's a nobody to nearly everybody today. I'm sure we weren't thinking very much about Zerubbabel as we walked around the street today. But God is promising that in the ups and downs of history, the arc of the moral universe is long but it is bending towards Zerubbabel's family. Isn't that amazing? And God, to, to kind of emphasize just how certain this promise is, do you see three times in verse 23, the Lord says, declares the Lord Almighty, declares the Lord, declares the Lord Almighty. Zerubbabel, you better believe this. This is true. And sure enough, 500 years later, we find a descendant of Zerubbabel being born in obscurity, and yet being proclaimed as the king of the Jews. At his baptism, he comes out of the waters, and a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son, my chosen one. And then later on, we see this descendant of Zerubbabel entering Jerusalem as a king and going there to die, to take away the sins of his people. And we see him rising again from the dead, coming to his followers and saying to them, go now into all the nations and proclaim this good news that God's kingdom has finally come. And you know what? That's not going to stop. That's the unstoppable purpose of God now. It's not going to stop until we finally see Zerubbabel's descendant coming to gather his chosen people from all the corners of the world. And he'll lead us then to streams of living water and wipe away every tear from every eye. So this is the good news, guys, that we've got this lunchtime. Zerubbabel's son is on the throne. The Lord Jesus Christ has come. And he's now calling all the nations and everybody here in Belfast to come and be part of his kingdom. So, two applications to take away from this. Firstly, Paul Simon was right. You can't outrun the history train. There is a trajectory to the moral universe. It's unstoppable. And that means we've got to be on the train. We've got to be on the right train. We've got to be on the train that is actually going somewhere. We've got to be part of Jesus' kingdom. And so if you're here this lunchtime and you're not somebody who is part of what Jesus is doing, who hasn't kind of put their trust in him and, 
and asked him to lead them, then, then you need to do that. You can't outrun the history train. <laughs> and why would you want to? Uh, Jesus' kingdom is a, is a kingdom where there will really be peace like a river, justice like a tide, glory forever. So, friend, climb aboard, climb aboard the true, unstoppable history train. And if you're on the train already, if you're a Christian here this lunchtime, uh, if you're somebody who's trusting in Christ, uh, I hope you can see that what a brilliant thing it is that we've got to offer our colleagues. We can show them where, the, where history's going. We can show them how to be on the right side of history. The most loving thing we could do, I think, is to give our colleagues the opportunity to climb aboard the history train, to come on God's unstoppable purposes in Jesus Christ, Zerubbabel's son, and be part of the way that the moral universe is heading towards Jesus Christ and his glory forever. So shall we pray that God would help us to do that? Let's pray. Our Father, we uh, thank you this lunchtime that we've been able to get together. Uh, We thank you that you've had this uh, prophecy of Haggai uh, read to us and we've been able to open it up and hear it afresh today. And our Father, we do want to thank you that you keep all your promises and that Jesus, your son, Zerubbabel's son, has come. Our Father, we pray that you'd fill us this lunchtime with confidence in all of your good purposes towards us. Uh, For those of us who perhaps have not uh, fully embraced uh, the call of this kingdom, uh, we pray that we would take steps to come Uh, closer to Jesus Christ today uh, by trusting in him. And for those of us who have done that and have perhaps been doing that for a while, Lord, I pray that you'd send us back to our workplaces today filled with confidence that uh, Zerubbabel's son is on the throne and that we can be part of his uh, calling of all the nations to come and worship him. Uh, So we pray that you'll uh, do that for us and bless us as we go uh, away from here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.